This is The Culture Code with Kevin Cruz, founder and CEO of LeadX, the platform that helps you scale and sustain a high-performance culture. Hello, everyone. I'm Kevin Cruz. Welcome back to Culture Code. I'm excited for our guest today. She is the Chief People Officer at Resilience, Mara Strandland. Mara, welcome. Where are you joining us from today? Oh, good to meet you, Kevin. Thanks for letting me join. I'm uh, based in San Diego. San Diego. Normally, I'm from the beautiful city of Philadelphia, but uh, I'm in California up in north of you on business. I'm enjoying some better weather for sure. <laughs> Not quite as sunny as San Diego. <laughs> that's right. That's right. So for people who might not be familiar with your company, just in you know your own language, how would you describe the company to an outsider like myself? Well, you know, I'll probably sound a little bit corporate but Resilience, <laughs> we're a technology-focused biomanufacturing company. Fundamentally, we believe we can be a first of its kind in transforming the way in which complex medicines are made. So we were actually founded in 2022 uh, because of uh, what we believe we can do. And since then, we've grown to almost 2,000 employees across the U.S. and Canada, obviously, with significant investor support who also believes that we can do what we say we uh, plan to do. Our customers are up-and-coming biotechs, established pharmaceutical organizations, academic institutions like the Mayo Clinic or MD Anderson. Fundamentally, we all just share the same purpose of advancing drug development and supply chain solutions to be able to withstand bottlenecks and to leverage rapidly changing technologies. Now, I want to make sure I heard that right. You say you started in 2022? Mid-2020. <laughs> so and we already have. have. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I see. I see. This is incredible growth. And, you know, shaping culture anywhere at any time is never easy. So tell me, you know, what kind of culture do you have and how has it emerged? Really, the most commonly used phrase that uh, so many people have said as they join us has been, we're building the plane while we're flying it. <laughs> <laughs> so we actually at one point had a little plane, uh, but a rocket ship is another phrase. But we've been moving fast to build our business. That it means is we've had to make adjustments all along the way, uh, wherever they're needed. And this includes our culture. We've come together through a combination of organic and acquisitive activity, and it's been during the worst health crisis of our time. So it's been a rocket ship, been a plane. But at the end of the day, I believe our mission to make life-saving medications available to all is really what the, it's the spark for us in building a culture where we're connecting all of these builders from different avenues. We wanted to not just come together to manufacture the recipes handed to us by our customers, but to help our customers optimize their recipes over the long term. So again, we can, we can really provide those value-added supply chain solutions. When you think about some of the traits of your culture, I think it's common in startups for culture to sort of, especially the early days, sort of take on the personality of the, the founding team. Did you see that at all? Or how would you sort of describe that interplay? Oh, that's a great question. I think, you know, leaders always come in with certain opinions and certain ways of working that you have to say, is that something we want to adopt or not? As part of what we did early on, we set up company values that we call phenotypes. And we have seven of them, and they basically serve now as a key component to our culture. So in other words, our mission attracts employees who seek purpose in what they do. And our phenotypes, we believe, help foster a mindset of collaboration, of innovation, and of managing the inherent tensions that exist whenever you have a whole bunch of people coming together for the first time amidst a change in ambiguity. So examples of the phenotypes that stand out most to our employees, uh, we hear a lot about the phenotypes around uh, velocity, service orientation. We have phenotypes that hit the inherent tensions head on, like uh, we combine resilience and grit. 
We combine quality and rigor. And then, of course, there's builder mentality. If I summarize it, uh, you know, one employee's voice kind of comes into my head where they said, we don't need to jockey for space here because there's a lot to be done. And if you want to build something, the sky's the limit. And so we think wow. between our mission and our phenotypes, that's kind of coming to life. Mayor, I love this. I mean, it's just, I love that you've called them phenotypes and this idea of sort of paired things. I do a lot of work in goal setting and and often, you know, if you only have one goal, you can kind of lean too far into a thing where a strength can become a limitation. And so I think that the idea of thinking about pairs and balance is uh, very unique. I hadn't heard that before. So kudos on that approach. The one that comes up the most is the tension between velocity, quality, and rigor. We mm. have to deliver the highest product. We have to do it at the fastest speed possible. And at the end of the day, we talk about velocity being speed with direction. So how are we mm. having the right data points and the right rigors to know that we're moving in the right direction? With this kind of growth, you've got new hires coming in all the time. So what are you doing to make sure the new joiners are getting this culture, the uh, understanding the phenotypes? <laughs> what are you doing to sustain it for the veterans that have been there for more than a year, right? How do you keep it sticky? Oh, I wish I had words of wisdom. I mean, uh, at the end of the day, we're three years old. That means we're a toddler. <laughs> That means we're building every day and we're hitting our head on the coffee table as we're kind of running around and, and figuring it out. What we do know is we definitely don't want to just put posters on our walls. If for no other reason than over 20% of our employees work remotely or hybrid, then they don't want posters on their, their house walls. But we try and make sure we keep phenotypes and mission and things that are important to us from a customer angle continuously discussed, you know, whether it's your Slack channels, your new hire onboarding, your people management sessions, your we do interactive employee workshops. We have live Q&A in our town halls. We do 15-minute uh, CEO stand-up meetings on a monthly basis to try and get top-of-mind things out there and, and invite Q&A during those. So I wouldn't say any of these are unique or traditional. We've had another good practice of starting team meetings with a phenotype reflection. Mm. And that simply is an opportunity for the team to highlight a specific employee or a team and how they brought a phenotype to life and, and celebrate it for a moment. Because one of the things that happens in such a fast-paced startup is you forget to celebrate what you have accomplished. You're always obsessed with what still needs to be done and where the issues are. And we've expanded that concept recently with a recognition program. So we call it GRIT, the R, and it stands for Recognizing Phenotypes. And it's just, again, to celebrate those everyday moments. Yeah, Mayor, I want to underscore that for our listeners, because very often I hear people, managers will say, you know, I'm too busy for all this culture stuff, this engagement stuff. Who's got the time for it? And really what you just addressed is it's not a time. It's almost just ways to make it a habit. You know, you're already holding the meeting. Can you take 30 seconds to 60 seconds to recognize someone who has lived the phenotype, the value, who has represented something? We often counsel people to think about opportunities for recognition to tie it back to your value, to make it strategic recognition. It's not just that you, Kevin, you did this good thing, but you did this thing and it represented, you know, our value. And you're showing that you can really um, foster this culture in seconds or minutes. It doesn't have to take a lot of time. You also mentioned workshops, which I wanted to ask about what you're doing to support your frontline managers. Because, you know, by definition, they're touching, you know, 80% of the workforce, most of how we feel about work, employee engagement has to do with our relationship with our manager. 
But I'll be honest, if I was in your role and I've only been around doing this stuff for three years, I wouldn't have had time to do any manager training yet, any workshops or support. So are you doing anything at all? Tell me about that. (laughs) Fortunately, I can answer that yes, because we did some pilots last year. And so we went into full launch on some programs just even six months ago that are showing some really strong early outcomes. But you're right. That first year, it was more building things and making sure that people had the right basic guardrails. But what we're really trying to do now is a combination of align managers from all walks of life and however they joined us into the challenges that we face as a business today, right? And so our challenge was really how do we build a surgically focused, just-in-time management series uh, that approaches topics not just from that IQ perspective, because we can all read articles and do things like that, but that EQ perspective and how do you really make it come to life in your own mind so that when you leave the session, you're thinking about it and applying it. And most importantly, I think it connects our new managers with each other so they can take the learning ball themselves forward, right, without having an intervention or a form of class. So these are voluntary sessions. What we set up that's working well is a half hour uh, info session, a specific set of uh, topic area that has no more than like three key takeaways. And then an hour where managers talk and learn from each other. And we space them apart and we supplement them with some tools and some additional e-learning options and some uh, different ways in which they can kind of help make it come to life for themselves. And so recent example, we had about 150 managers participating in one we called Excelling Together. And that was simply, how do you coach your employees and what are some tips to develop your employees in this type of build culture where there's not a lot of standard ways of doing things or standard career paths? Again, incredible experience, bringing so many people on board. How do you know what's on people's own? How do you know how engaged are they? Uh, I assume you're doing some sort of employee voice survey or some way of gathering data. First of all, don't hire shy employees. (laughs) (laughs) Most employees aren't shy these days, which is right. You're not waiting around for that feedback, huh? (laughs) (laughs) And sometimes it's like, oh, we asked for hard-hitting feedback and you gave it to us, but it's good. Continuously listening to and not just listening to, but actually in the voices, it's a non-negotiable. We have to do it, right? So then it becomes what are the best ways in which you can do it. Early in 2021, we put in a quarterly engagement survey. We run it ourselves. It's an in-house program, but it's tied to really our first and kind of longest standing objective in our people team, which is shaping our culture and connectivity. And to do that, you've got to understand where are we progressing, where are we not progressing, what are real-time hotspots that we might not surface through other ways, et cetera. So basically, how do we build out an alert system? Now, quarterly, you can say it's too slow. You can say it's not thorough enough. But at the end of the day, it's driving awareness. We're getting some quick data. We're able to respond quickly and iterate and improve without administrative burden. And like most of our programs, you put it in, you test, you iterate, you refine, you <laughs> and you keep moving forward. So we just try and make sure we're pivoting on topics that are important, we're deep diving where it's important, and at the same time, kind of running that baseline series of questions to measure progress over time on some of our cultural elements. Yeah, Mara, again, for our listeners, I think you're talking about quarterly uh, pulse type surveys, and that seems to be a hot topic of just how infrequent is too infrequent, how frequent is all of a sudden a burden on people. I love the quarterly rhythm. I mean, we often will counsel that it really should match the speed of the growth of your organization. If you're in this gigantic organization that really isn't growing, it's been the same way for a hundred years, 
90% of your employees are the same employees this year that you had last year. Maybe once a year is enough. Not a lot is changing. But boy, if you're doing rapid hiring, rapid change, or in a dynamic environment, which we pretty much have all been, doing an annual survey is just not often enough anymore. By the time you hit the next survey, you would have the vast majority in your company where you've never surveyed them at all. And, you know, if we're being asked to report our financial metrics quarterly, why shouldn't we, you know, check in and get our people metrics quarterly as well? So I know it can be a burden, um, especially on small HR teams to administer. It seems like, didn't we just do that survey? But I applaud that effort because I think that's going to keep you, you know, nimble and responsive. And you've talked about not only the quarterly surveys, but the programs, the workshops, so much good stuff already. But is there any particular program or initiative that you want to highlight or that you're especially happy with? Thanks for that question, because the team put together a foundational talent and cultural platform that we call RP3. But yeah, I'd love to brag about it. So RP3, it stands for Resilience Performance Planning Process. But we put in RP3, it's been holding for the moment. And why it's been holding is it, it starts with the belief that everybody wants to be great at something. No employee comes in and says, let me figure out how I can suck today. Similar to what I mentioned earlier, we really design our programs and our talent programs to drive conversations, to drive action, not to administer something. So it's how do we relieve that administrative burden wherever possible? And what we came up with this platform is what we call a freedom in a framework approach in which employees and managers co-own the performance process. They manage the cadence. They manage the content. They manage the format. What we do is we provide the framework and the prompts for discussion and for actions. And we do that via, you can call it a survey or a questionnaire, but every quarter we ask certain questions. We check in, we do pulse moments. And this is a guardrail to just ensure that every employee has the opportunity to answer the question, do you know what is expected of you? Do you have the support you need to accomplish your goals? Okay. So we ask some of those questions very consistently. And then we ask a few unique questions on team health topics, such as uh, we have the right, do we have the right people in the right meetings at the right time? And again, the employee can answer however they want. It is fully transparent, not only to the manager, but to the more senior managers. The intended outcome is that value-added discussion. If we don't have the right people in the right meetings at the right time, which one of those is not right? Or is all three not right? What team are you referring to? How can we make it better? All of those types of discussions between employees and managers that are so valuable. Uh, and then at the end of the day, the data helps us identify broader trends and potential problem areas that we may want to address more systematically. If we don't have the right meetings going on, do we need to look at our operational rhythms differently, for example? And so it's voluntary. We have four cycles. Three of them are voluntary. One is that HR involuntary process. But in our most recent uh, voluntary cycle this past quarter, we had a completion rate of 96% from our employees. And that tells me something's working well in this. And we've had some really good anecdotal feedback. So yeah, I'm super proud of where this is going. And we're using it as, as uh, the platform for which we'll continue to build out talent activities, succession planning, performance-based compensation, all of those types of things. Congratulations for a non-mandatory program to get that kind of participation when Let's face it, most people, you talk to them and it's like, I'm too busy to attend that thing or to do this thing or to sign my paperwork. Everybody's too busy. And to get that kind of participation shows it is innately valuable to those who are participating. And Mary, I think you gave all of us a good, not just culture and work advice, but life advice, because you started by saying, you know, people don't show up at work purposely trying to make it worse or to be a bad performer. And I think this idea of assuming 
positive intent. You know, we all have the colleagues like, oh, fighting with legal or how come they can't do this faster or they mess that meeting. Over. You know, <laughs> let's just assume they're doing what they think they should be doing or they're doing the best they can. And then if we need to address something or help them or coach them or something, we can do that. But assume positive intent. It certainly makes my personal relationships go a lot better when I'm, <laughs> when I'm assuming they actually am trying to help me, right? They're trying, they're not, they're not trying to get in my way on purpose. So this is a short format podcast. We only have a few more minutes. So I want to hit some faster, but maybe fun topics. I'm curious if you had the power to send to all of your colleagues, wherever they may be, one book, or maybe it's a podcast or something on Netflix, I don't know, some piece of media, and they would promise they would actually read it or consume it. What would you send everyone? Well, there is this awesome podcast by this guy named Kevin. <laughs> You're just trying to get preferential treatment. You just want us to put this at the top of the list. <laughs> Look, I'm a huge reader. I would actually start with a fictional series. And so I got sucked into, uh, it's a uh, six books, I think. It's called The Murderbot Diaries. So different Ooh. types. It's a series called The Murderbot Diaries by Martha Wells. It's high action science fiction. Now, why would I call it out here? Because it incorporates mental health, it incorporates personal growth, corporate politics, and then it has this really nice bent on robotics and AI, and just actually humor that made me laugh out loud. So that's been high on my recommendation list. If you want the serious read, uh, I tend to recommend books that help you better understand yourself. And the one I've been recommending lately, it was recommended to me and I'm feeding it forward, is a book by Richard Schwartz called No Bad Parts. It's a different model for understanding and listening to our inner voices and using them as allies for ourselves. Geez, both sound incredible and are new to me. And I've been looking for some new fiction. I'm doing that 10,000 step a day thing. And okay. it helps if I've got some good uh, fiction in my ears going. Murderbot Diaries, I'm going to grab that right away. And now let's do a, a similar task. You know, with all the stuff that's going on in the world, all the things your colleagues are faced with, imagine you could wave your magic wand and all of a sudden they just got a little better at a particular skill or behavior. What would you wish for them? What would you want them to lean into more? Well, you know what's stuck in my brain right now, so this is an easy answer. It is that assumed positive intent. Mm. It's just anytime there's the unknown, and we have so many unknowns in our world right now, and bad things happening out of our control. And anytime that happens, people look for the, the evil why. And if you just assume positive intent and assume that people are really fundamentally trying to help other people in some way, shape, or form and trying to do a good job, I think we can all go a long way. It's great. You've been generous here sharing some of your experiences and what's been working, which is a soft form of giving advice to colleagues and others out there. What's maybe a piece of advice you would give a younger version of yourself? You know, what's something you wish you knew on day one when you became a chief people officer that you now know today? You've learned it the hard way. What, what would it be? <laughs> uh, even the most senior leader is not perfect and they learn things and you know things. It's that combination of having believing in your your knowledge and helping the people understand the perspective you're coming from. Yeah, that's great. With everything that's going on, again, fast growing, successful company, but what's most exciting to you right now about the organization? Oh, it is the mission. So I'm one of those people I truly did join resilience because of the mission. My father uh, received he had advanced therapeutic treatment that I have no doubt helped extend his life. And not only extends life, but kind of maintain the quality of life through some pretty harsh treatments until the end. 
He was lucky because he had a doctor who researched grant programs, and he mm. met very specific eligibility requirements for those grant programs. Otherwise, he just wouldn't have gotten the treatment. And I'm just super proud and super excited about the brilliant minds we have at Resilience, helping think about how to make these medicines more quickly, more safely, and, and at scale so everybody can have the treatments that are out there for them. Well, that's powerful. Mayor, thanks so much for the great work your company is doing. And thanks for spending some uh, precious time with us today to, to share what makes your culture great and uh, giving others some ideas for uh, things they can blend into their own culture recipes in their, in their own organizations. Thanks. Thank you. It's been a delightful conversation. Hey, thanks for listening to this episode of the Culture Code Podcast. Are you looking to build, refine, or revamp a training program? We team up with companies like Northwestern Mutual, Cineos Health, and Duck Creek Technologies to roll out highly engaging training series for emerging leaders, new managers, women in leadership, high potential managers, sales enablement, and more. Check it out at leadx.org. What makes these series so uniquely engaging? We help you build a full system of development that leverages our cutting-edge platform and world-class training. We blend together world-class cohort-based virtual training and group coaching, personalized nudges, micro-learning, and on-demand office-hour-style coaching. Go check it out at leadx.org.